Welcome to Porcelain Peak, a strange and scary podcast covering all things horror and science fiction. Hello, as Constance said, I'm Anthony, and I'm joined only this week by John in person, but remotely, we have Anthony on the mic, too. How's it going, man? Yeehaw! Calling all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I'm here, too. <laughs> Definitely not in Nashville. Yes, Anthony is in Nashville doing some work training, so he's in the future. Yeah, am I calling from Nashville? Because I'm the only 10 I see. Oh, shit. <laughs> Had to be done. All right. So that being said, we are going to hit you with the regular stuff, you know, the news, the trivia. And then for our main discussion this week, we are going to be talking about spooky attractions, some that are for our area and some that are pretty countrywide. And then we are going to dive into the 31 Territory. For week two of that, we had a lot of fun this week, and we cannot wait to share those with you and then what we got going on next week. But before we jump into all that, let's get started with the news. So one thing that I saw this week that I wanted to mention to you guys was that they announced a third movie for the new Halloween franchise. So we got Halloween 2018, which I feel like we should just start calling Halloween Returns. <laughs> like, let's I mean, just let that be is. the title. And then we talked about them calling the next one Halloween Kills, and they have announced now the following year, Halloween Ends. So it's going to cap off this trilogy, although it's more of a quadrilogy, I guess. But from the, the David Gordon Green ones with Danny McBride, this is a, a their trilogy. So I think that's pretty cool. I like that they have it slated. A lot of times when we see these movies shoot back to back, it doesn't always work, like with Back to the Future or with The Matrix. But then you get stuff like Lord of the Rings, which were all shot at the same time, and that worked out. So I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I'm definitely ready to jump back in. It's a really interesting way to go about this considering if you look at every big horror franchise they don't really give themselves caps very often it's always like a oh yeah we're gonna let this run until the money runs out basically and i love that they have an idea and they're gonna keep it inside of that window right but how many final chapters have we seen like friday the 13th has two halloween already had one <laughs> two three maybe and then fucking nightmare has at least one yeah for sure. <laughs> you know what i mean so uh we'll see if it actually ends up being the end i'm not particularly surprised that they are trying to go for like a whole new trilogy and everything because i mean even if you didn't love the the new halloween that came out i mean it was still successful enough that i was sure they were going to speed forward with the next one so i'm not surprised that we have news already and photos and all that it's just good to see that jamie lee is involved in more than one uh, part of this trilogy so i'm excited to see that yeah from what i was reading 
uh, I think it was Danny McBride was like, dude, she's just on board for all of it. There was a time when she wanted to get away from this character, and that's not the case anymore. She wants to dive in and get this thing done. And I think it's because she got such a positive reaction from the last one, and it's one of the highest grossing, if not the highest grossing, movie in the franchise. You can only do so many Activia commercials before um, before you feel like maybe it's time to go back to the, the stuff that made you... Because now, you know, she's almost more popular for those commercials. So I feel like, you know, at some point you got to go back. <laughs> Kids that are watching it that don't know anything about the franchise are going to be like, is that that fucking yogurt lady? <laughs> <laughs> is that fu- it's that fucking yogurt lady. <laughs> All right. What about you guys? You got any news? I was tagged in Facebook on a post from the Scream House. So the Scream House where they had the big party at the end. They've been throwing annual Halloween parties there, so they are doing the final one. The people who own the house are doing one last party, and it's open to like the public and stuff, which is crazy. I thought it was an interesting concept. Where is that at? Yeah, it's in California. Dude, Ty, I did not know that uh, that was a thing. Yeah, I I was tagged in that same post um, by Ashley, and I really want to check it out. I think that sounds awesome. Yeah, we should look into that, and I would fucking super be down to go. Cool. What about you, Anthony? Got any news? Yeah, mine's not particularly breaking, but um, I was reading through some news about like uh, Fantasticon and some of the the stuff that's come out recently. Um, and you know, usually when we hear things like Netflix original when it comes to horror. Move on the movie side, it's typically nothing impressive. But on the TV side, they've, in my opinion, kind of been nailing it in terms of things like Haunting of Hill House. They starting in September, actually, so we're behind on this. They have a show. I don't know if you guys have checked it out called Mary Ann. I actually watched the first episode just the other night. Okay. Yeah, and I was looking, and um, it has a hundred percent on Rotten, eighty nine percent audience score, which is kind of crazy for anything that Netflix puts out these days. Um, and for series info, it says, lured back to her hometown, a famous horror writer discovers that the evil spirits who plague her dreams are now wreaking havoc in the real world. And that sounds awesome to me. So that was something that popped up on my radar. While I'm here in Tennessee and, and I'm watching our, our 31 hor- uh, terror tales and everything, that might be something that I want to check in on and, and, and see if it's something that will hold my attention while I'm here. Yeah, I... I was going through a list of stuff that's streaming and it came up with a bunch of movies that we didn't have and, and said that, sh- said that show. And so I was going to mention that on the watch list after I got a little bit more through it to really give a better opinion. Um, it is French. And so you can do subs or you can do an English dub, which, you know, depending on how you feel about either of those two mediums, then <laughs> I mean, they both have their pluses minuses, but I went with the English dubs and it's a little bit hard, but then it is spooky. So when spooky stuff starts happening, you don't really need to worry about the misplaced mouth movements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it relies more on um, like atmosphere, then it's probably something that the the dialogue maybe doesn't distract you as much. I'd probably do subtitles, but um, if it's something that I'm trying to fall asleep to, I'm, I might do the dub just so I can kind of close my eyes a little bit. Not because I'm scared. Just because I'm tired. <laughs> it did have some pretty creepy stuff. I was like, all right, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this. Excited to see where it goes. So, well, then let's go ahead and move on to that trivia. Trivia. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. Come on, it'll be fun. It's an easy category. Movie trivia. 
You're looking at a 1960s slasher film. Your quote is, a boy's best friend is his mother. Is it Psycho? It is Psycho, yes. All right, John, you're looking at a 2006 horror movie. And the tagline is, the lucky ones die first. Can the champ keep his crown? The likelihood is no. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go ahead and take a second clue. The characters are the Carter family and the Jupiter clan. I'm going to take a stab at it here. Is it the others? Ooh, no. Incorrect. Ah, bummer. All right, so I can steal if I guess it on this one, yeah? Yeah. Mm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say House of a Thousand Corpses. Ooh, also incorrect. Ah, all right. So if if the listeners know the answer to that one, go ahead and shoot us a message. All right. So, Tone, you are getting a 2002 horror. This is what I've seen in the four weeks since infection. People killing people. 28 days later? Yeah. Your next clue is going to be a 1990 thriller. And the quote is, I did not come to medical school to murder my classmates. Is it Flatliners? Damn, for another four points. All right, you're looking at a 2007 horror flick, John, and your tagline is, Humanity's Last Hope rests on a high-power machine gun. Is it Planet Terror? It is, wow. Oh, nice! All right, Tony, you are getting a 1984 fantasy tagline. Don't get him wet, keep him out of bright light, and never feed him after midnight. Gremlins! It is Gremlins. <laughs> All right. Get the tiebreaker card ready. 1986 horror tagline. Fuck a lot of these today. I know, right? The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. Night, Night of the Creeps. Creeps. I'm going to say that that's a tie. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. We were just talking about that recently. That's the only reason that I remembered that. Well, it looks like it, it looks like it's a tie this week, which means knife fight. All right, well, a little bit anticlimactic, but I'm cool that uh, we'll get into that knife fight when you get back into California, and we'll let the listeners know what the outcome was. Oh, and trust me, they they have knife fights every day when you walk out on the street here in, in Tennessee, so I'm going to have <laughs> some skills. The best. <laughs> All right, uh, that's going to be the end of news and trivia for this week. If you enjoyed those segments, then hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on it. But now... Let's get into our main dish. I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. We're going to start this meal with a nice salad. (laughs) Salad. Salad. Full of body parts. So we're going to talk about some scary attractions. Um, Some of them are going to be local to California and specifically to Central California that we think of. I guess we really don't know for sure. 
But uh, one of the ones that we went and visited so that we could bring it to you guys was this past week we went to a corn maze. It seems like a really silly thing to do, but it's smart for the corn people because, like, hey, they got all this shit. Might as well monetize empty <laughs> stocks. Yeah, I was I was talking recently about how I <clears throat> I never think of corn mazes as being, like, um, a thing that exists as just, like, a cornfield throughout the rest of the year. And it dawned on me, like, just this year <laughs> at... At at 27 years old, I was like, oh, that's such a good business idea. They just grow corn, and then they just mow through it, and then they just sell tickets to, to walk through the corn that they grew the rest of the year. And for whatever reason, that was like a huge realization for me. But yeah, so we went to one. I don't even remember what the fucking shape of this one was, but we went into one side of it, walked around for about half hour, 45 minutes, and then came out the same way we went in. <laughs> So that was a little embarrassing, but then we went in a different way and came out a different way the second time and faster even. I mean, the thing that got us sucked in the most was they had uh, Monsters Incorporated playing on on a bale of hay, and that was uh, (laughs) something that we all ended up just getting sucked into. But yeah, I mean, the corn maze is fun. I think that it would be a lot scarier if there wasn't so many people running around with glow sticks. There was a couple points when we were in it where there was nobody around and you get to look down these long halls of just corn and nothing. And it is pretty creepy. And I led the group for the most of the part. And so I was like, that's that's kind of scary. Maybe I'll drift back a little bit. (laughs) But we had a good time. And uh, there's a few in the area. I know one of them has been on the Travel Channel, the one in Lathrop. And that one's huge, and usually they do three in one area, so might have to check that one out, too. And they have more of an interactive haunted house, and so that's pretty fun. Um, some other ones that we can talk about, and I could shoot it over to you guys, is, uh, like, Universal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so last year I went to uh, Universal has their um, their Halloween Horror Nights. So I went last year, and I checked it out for the first time and um, wanted to talk a little bit about it. It's not something that, because I am here in Nashville and I have a lot going on this month, it's probably not something I'm going to be able to make this year, but it's something that I had always wanted to do, and it's a ton of fun for anybody who can get out to Universal to do those horror nights. Basically, the setup is they take those Halloween like haunted walkthroughs that you go through in your hometown, but they theme them to your favorite horror movies. So last year when I went, it was... The Michael Myers walkthrough for Halloween. They had Trick or Treat. They had Blumhouse, Universal Monsters, um, a, you know, Haunted Holidays, all kinds of different stuff. And so you had you buy a ticket and you go through, and there's scarers running around with you know fake chainsaws and stuff chasing you into gift shops and all over the place. They got big flamethrowers shooting all over. The whole place is decked out. They close it down to the regular patrons at night. And if you have that ticket, then you're out there at night going through these walkthroughs and they had stranger things, which was actually one of my favorites. You go through Hawkins lab and you see the 11 and the Demogorgon, um, all based around season one. I'm sure if they're doing it again this year, it'll be more updated for the newer seasons. But when I went, it was all like season one based, but they had all the, the cool stranger things music. It was a really good time. And I would definitely recommend it for anybody who gets a chance to go. It's it's a really cool way to highlight your October for Halloween, to go through and see all these high-production haunted places put on by Universal. And then if you get a chance, you know, I always like to go on the studio tour. You get to walk through the studio tour area and do – there's this 
crazy butcher clown setup thing and then you get to go up to Bates Motel and you actually get to stand next to it and they have a guy who's Norman Bates and you go up and you take photos with him so I have a photo with a few friends um with Norman Bates and he comes up behind you with a knife and does his whole thing so um you know definitely one of my favorite photo opportunities um I would yeah say check it out it's a little pricey but it's definitely worth it it's almost like you get to live within the movie for a night you know what i mean yeah that's really what it feels like because the production is so high especially with things like the the stranger things walk through you feel like you're walking through those scenes from the show with the flickering lights and i mean that show lends itself really well to a walkthrough like that so you feel like you know they have guys dressed up like they're hawkins lab uh workers and uh it's the like i said the production is really high so the whole time you feel like i'm in an episode of stranger things Similar vein to that, um, a little bit closer to home, they have Great America and we have uh, Six Flags close by. So they have like haunts where it's, again, open at night and you get to walk through. So you get to wait in line to walk through something, which kind of <laughs> sucks because sometimes those get pretty long. But uh, those aren't as heavily themed to movies and stuff as as the Universal ones. But they're still pretty fun and they're pretty creepy. I think they call that their Fright Fest. And I went two years ago. Um, it's fun. It's, you do have to buy a separate ticket and, um, the process of getting in is a little bit different, a little bit weird. Um, and you can easily mess it up, but once you're in, it's, it, they have the, the, the scares wandering around chasing you and they have like a, an underwater, like Kraken shark thing that had like a circus tent set up. Um, but I mean, the cool thing there is that you get to ride the roller coasters too. If you're, you know, which you might as well do if you want, you know, an extra level of adrenaline while you're there at Six Flags. But yeah, you get to ride the, the coasters. Um, so I did that, and then another one that's kind of similar, but on a bigger scale and a little bit more production is like a Not Scary Farm that they do down south. I went to that last year before going to Universal, and that's another one that's not particularly themed toward any movies or anything like that. But you get to go to Not Scary Farm. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm, and, and they deck the whole thing out with uh, glow-in-the-dark stuff and Halloween decorations, and it's just a fun, you know, bigger production, haunted walkthrough type setup. Yeah, it seems like a lot of uh, music parks are doing that, and then similarly to that, and especially with being down south, you wanted to talk a little bit about Disneyland, right? Yeah, so every year, starting in September, Disney does an entire... Uh, Halloween party themed thing. So they basically change the name of it almost every year. I've been to three of them, I think. And so you get dressed up, you have to buy a separate ticket and they close the park down for the general public. And then you go to this party, you can get, uh, you like do trick or treating. So it's kind of like a classic, like throwback to being a kid again, you know, cause they don't care how old you are walking through those lines for candy. Um, but also, it's easier to get on the rides, which uh, during that time frame, they also change Haunted Mansion to Nightmare Before Christmas, which I love. And they do such a great job of changing it. All the audio has been updated in that ride, you know, within the last like 10 years. So them playing the music for the movie over the speakers and everything, it's just it's so beautiful. Being that that's one of my favorite Disney movies, I just I, every time I'm like I gotta ride that a billion times. <laughs> yeah, I mean Haunted Mansion has always been uh, my favorite ride at Disneyland. The I prefer when they deck it out for Nightmare Before Christmas when they do that around Halloween and Christmas time. That's when I prefer the ride. Um, and so I've been a few, t uh, I think two or three times while they've had it all set up. And I went last year around Halloween time, and 
California Adventure gets all decked out with their like headless horseman theme. Um, and each park has its kind of its own theme um, based around Halloween time. So it's, it's a ton of fun. I would, if you have the money to go to Disneyland, go during one of the holiday times because that's when you get the extra experience of having all the decorations and everything. Um, I had another experience at uh, Universal before they started doing like the Halloween Horror Nights thing. Uh, it was a long time ago. It was back when I was in high school. They would do random like haunted houses during just like random parts of the year. And I was a band geek. Shocker. And <laughs> so we would go down south for uh, concerts that we would play in Disneyland. And we would do that every year. And alternating years, we would go one day to Universal and then spend two days at Disney. So on one of the years when we went to both, uh, we went to Universal and they had like just a haunted house where it was like similar production values to what Halloween Horror Nights is now, just scaled down and in like one single experience. So you would walk through this haunted house and like there were people like on like wire fighting who would jump out at you and all this other crazy stuff. And so I was walking through with a friend of mine and she is a very small woman, like five foot even at that time, like buck 10, buck 20, maybe. And so we're walking through and she is scared shitless. And it is like, it's pretty creepy. They did a really good job of you know, producing this and making it something super interesting. And being that I love horror things, I was all in. And she was like, I don't know if I want to go. And I convinced her kind of. And I, so I felt a little bit bad. So she's like on my coattails, just like, like trying to hide from things, screaming at the top of her lungs at every single thing that comes out. And then we get to what's close to the end. And you could tell that it's close to the end. And I'd seen a few people get jumped out at by something. I didn't see exactly what it was, but something jumped out, but I knew it was a person and people were screaming and freaking out. And I was like, I like, yelled into the room i was like hey my friend is actually really freaked out right now don't jump out and then so we crossed the threshold and sure as shit they jumped out she screamed and then i accidentally punched it <laughs> i i mean i caught this this person in a werewolf costume with a solid uppercut right on the chin and so it was so bad that they after we got out of the building they got off of their little wires followed us out and was like, hey, man, I don't come to your job and punch you in the face. And, like, was, like, trying to chew me out. I was like, hey, like, I, like, I, it was a reflex. I apologize. And, like, so I had to, like, make up to this werewolf guy. <laughs> and it was just, it was a really unfortunate situation. But I, it's, it, looking back on it, 15 years or whatever it is now um, was just really funny. You are the reason why they have the no-touch rules now at those walkthroughs. <laughs> Speaking of walkthroughs, Anthony and I went to one a couple of years ago out at a farm, and that one took fucking forever for us to get into. The line was ridiculous. But once we got in, it was amazing. They had all kinds of different sections with different themes, and one of the ones even had a bunch of sheets that you had to walk through. Like, you know, like in Halloween and mm -hmm. shit, where it's like, okay, you know someone's going to be here. And, oh man, that one was so much fun. And there was a couple parts I was like, this is fucking scary. They had dudes with chainless chainsaws running around but they still had the motor and everything and so they're like is that real <laughs> but i was gonna say the coolest part of that was that that place is a farm for the rest of the year did you know that like they like they... 
Um, they just grow food and shit. I know they they <laughs> like they grow food out of the ground. It's crazy. But yeah, no, that one <laughs> that one was super fun. I remember we did the um the like haunted hayride type thing, and they had the guys jumping up on the, the sides of the 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 hayride, and they had like pyrotechnics and and stuff. And it, it was pretty big for like a local thing. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've seen ones now that do. Uh... Like paintball, so there's zombies, and you get to shoot them with paintballs. <laughs> That's tight. So John can live out his dream of abusing um, Halloween haunters. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Um, I mean, the other thing that I guess is is spooky, depending on the theme of it, and can be kind of scary. And they've made horror movies about it now, and we frequent them pretty often. Is escape rooms? Yeah. And those are those are really fun. And again, it's really silly. Like, hey, let's go get locked up in a room, or hey, let's go walk through corn. Like, it's just <laughs> a thing that sounds silly to do. But I mean, we do them pretty often. And it's more about the puzzles. But there is definitely a creepy aspect to it because you are locked in a room. And if those people wanted to never let you out, I mean, they could. Yeah, it's the perfect like. If this person was a serial killer or like <laughs> jig or like jigsaw, like they would not have to do any work. You paid to be there. You paid. You you, <laughs> you paid to let them lock you in a room. It's like a self roast, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and the place that we go to pretty often locks the front door. So even if you got out of the escape room, you're not even necessarily getting out of the building. <laughs> but yeah, I've been trying to convince the people in this area to do a scary one because why wouldn't you? That would add a whole new layer to the already kind of, like, stressful situation that you're in. Like, you're volunteering to put yourself in a stressful situation. Like, like especially if you're claustrophobic or something, those escape rooms, they're, they're fun because just by themselves they're scary. But doing a horror one, I feel like would be like just a whole new level of that. Yeah. Oh, no, I completely agree. I think it would be a blast. And then it was like, should I be scared or should I be trying to solve this shit or am I going to die? All right, but other than that, I mean, that's some of the attractions that we have visited recently and stuff that we typically frequent every year. So if there's other kinds of attractions along those same veins that you want to share with us, then go ahead and hit us up on any of our socials or shoot us an email. We'd love to hear about them. But now, the moment that you may have been waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to dive in to the second week of our 31 Territory. I'm stoked. I hope that you are listening and following along and that you're having a blast with us. And if not, then I hope that you're at least diving into the spooky spirit. The first week we know was a bit of a journey and that was like that for all of us. So yeah, some choices were made, some bad choices, I would say on our part for that first week. But um, I think we definitely honestly that we made it through it. And it made this week so much better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in comparison, everything that we watched this week, for the most part, I mean, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but for the most part, was so much better. It was just such a better week. All right, so we're going to do the same format as we did last week, where we're going to pick three that we're going to talk about a little bit more at length than the other four. So first one that we're going to talk about just very briefly was from the 8th. And that was the recent Banana Splits, the movie. La, 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 (laughs) la. I mean, this one, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We knew that it wasn't going to be a great movie. But I feel like that's one of the two questions you ask. Was it a good movie? No. Did you have a good time watching it? Hell yes. (laughs) Well, and I was pleasantly surprised by how much I actually really enjoyed this one. 
Because you thought it was going to be terrible? Yeah, I mean, when you say we knew what we were getting ourselves into, I don't know the banana splits. You knew what you were getting us into. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you picked it, when you insisted that we put banana splits on, the, you know, to head week two. But getting into it, I knew it was kind of maybe like a, fr- a Five Nights at Freddy's, like, Chuck E. Cheese gone evil type thing. And, um, I mean, that's what it was. It was kind of a sci-fi B-movie uh, with these animatronics who go find out their show's getting canceled and they go crazy and they start killing people. And some of the deaths were pretty gory. Um, I mean, it's the first R-rated Hanna-Barbera um, property. So, I mean, that just that sentence alone, that should be the tagline. Like, that should convince people enough <laughs> yeah, to watch sure. it. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite ones was when that girl was on the slippy slide and slipped on her hand and then you had to see her fingers all bend backward. Ooh. Yeah, it was Gnar. that was yeah. gnarly for sure, yeah. Anyway, um, before we get too far into it, that is going to be a recommend for me. Yeah, recommend for me too, definitely. I had a lot of fun with it. I would definitely say I would recommend it specifically if you're into that kind of just over the top, you know you're getting into something that's going to be really cheesy but really fun. So let's move on to the next one. This one we watched on the 9th, and it is the remake of Suspiria. So this is going to be the one that we talk about a little bit more. So if you want to go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, so I mean, to give a little background on this one, this is um, the the 2018 remake of the Dario Argento film, um, Suspiria. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know anything about the original Suspiria, it is known predominantly for its style. It's in the Italian um, giallo style, um, which just usually consists of a trend in horror movies. Uh, where the actors could be from all over the place. They typically spoke different languages. All of it was almost always overdubbed and really exaggerated and strange. And that's really what the original was, (laughs) was it was all super bright-ass colors, really crazy score by Goblin that is very, very memorable. Goblin does a lot of really great stuff, uh, horror movie-specific scores. Um, and worked with Argento a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it was it's probably Argento's most well-known movie. He ended up spinning it off kind of into a a series of movies all, all centered around these witches, um, these mothers. Um, the new movie is something that I think nobody asked for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> High praise going from Anthony Silva. <laughs> yeah, but that being said... Um, so the movie is directed by uh, Luca Guadagnino, and it uh, stars Dakota Johnson, which, uh, I mean, most people probably know her from the Fifty Shades movies, and that might be enough to turn yeah. turn somebody off right away or turn somebody on, you know what I mean? And uh, the same girl, the main girl? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, which is surprising, because in this, she definitely steps it up, literally steps it up with the dancing. She, as opposed to the original film, where there's one scene of dancing and the main character is stumbling around looking like a a dead fish in this one, Dakota Johnson, (laughs) Dakota Johnson spent months learning to dance and the dancing is such an integral part of this movie. And that's where I feel like this movie really shines is in the, the, there's three places where I feel like it really shines, which is why I I decided I wanted to talk about it. One is going to be the, just the visual style. The imagery of the movie is very, very strange and very creepy um, especially when it gets into the witch stuff, the it, it gets so weird at times, and it's such a different style from the original, where the original really focused it's so drab on most of the time. Yeah, it's it's all drab, and it's set 
it's a it's a much longer movie. It's about twice as long as the original film. It packs in so much more historical context. The dance school takes place right across from the Berlin Wall. There's a lot more politics that you get a little bit of in the beginning with Chloe Grace Moretz, who most people probably wouldn't even recognize. She shows up for like two minutes of the movie in the beginning, um, talking to an old man character played by Tilda Swinton, who plays three characters pretty brilliantly in this movie. <laughs> um, Dude, she is almost unrecognizable as that old man. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? One of the gross lady with the weird hand, too. Yeah. True. But that makeup on that old man, I was like, yeah. how? How? And the more I watched it, I was like, okay, I can see parts, and I could hear her voice come through a little bit. Yeah, the voice to me is the only place where I could tell that it wasn't a man playing the role. But other than that, it was the makeup was so great. But the visual style in the movie, it is drab. But you kind of, I mean, John and I talked about this a little bit, and Anthony, we talked about this, where if you're going to remake a movie... And you're going to remake a movie like Suspiria that has such a distinct style and is known for that style. You really do have to go in a completely different direction. You can't Gus Van Sant it with, you know, Vince Vaughn style (laughs) and do do a shot for shot remake. his name up. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a cursed thing to bring up in a horror podcast. But yeah, I mean, it goes for a completely different style, but it really pulls off some neat tricks with cinematography. I looked up the cinematographer and I apologize, but there is, you guys would have to look this up. There is absolutely... No way that I'm even going to attempt to pronounce this name correctly. It's <laughs> it's Siam, Siambu Muktiprom, and I apologize for my awful, awful pronunciation, whiteness. but yeah, for my whiteness. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, the visual style and the imagery, some of the dream sequences are really disturbing and crazy, and some of the gore, I mean there's a, there's a scene with a, a bone sticking out of a girl's legs and I had to turn the movie out of her leg and I had to turn the movie down um, because the screaming and everything was so harrowing. But I thought the visual style stuck out the cinematography for sure. Second to that is the choreography, those dance, the, the modern dance choreography in the movie is so visceral and it, you feel like they're reaching out of the screen and grabbing you and kind of shaking you and almost like trying to punch you in the face um, when they you know, thrust out their hands and their arms. And that's where you really get engrossed in it. They incorporate that more into this movie where the spells that the witches and this movie doesn't straight, doesn't do like the original where it kind of just goes, what's going on. And and it's a whole mystery. And then the end it's like, Oh, it's witches. This movie tells you, it's not a spoiler to say, right. Almost right at the beginning. It says, Hey, witches. And then you're, you know, the whole time that there, there are witches behind this whole thing. And you're just kind of waiting for all the other characters to kind of figure it out. And uh, they incorporate the dancing into their spells. So it makes sense why this dance academy would be such a central part of the coven. So that stands out. And then the main reason that I wanted to talk about this movie was the music in general. The score is done by Tom York, who anybody who is a Radiohead fan knows is the lead singer of Radiohead and uh, one of the predominant songwriters. Typically, when you see a Radiohead member on a score, you see... Uh, Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist, working with... uh, He works pretty regularly with um, Paul Thomas Anderson um, on movies like There Will Be Blood. And he's really well-known for his movie scores, but Tom York, this is kind of him breaking into the scene. And he actually does songs. So there's an opening, a middle, and a closing song that are actually sung by Tom York. And he has that very strange, high-pitched, creepy kind of vocal quality that lends itself really well to the movie. And And the music doesn't 
it's not like the goblin score where the music can sometimes feel like it's overwhelming which works really well in the original in this it's very subtle and when it picks up it you you just kind of become so engrossed in the dancing and the music and that was probably my favorite part of the whole movie was the music um it just really stood out to me and being radiohead being my favorite band that was what i was excited for going into watching the movie yeah. And what another thing that I liked is that, like you were saying, with the ballet and everything, it almost made you want to go watch ballet. Like, this is kind of dope. Yeah. But, you know, almost. <laughs> I mean, I think the big reason why, though, is because uh, Dakota Johnson is basically, basically just fucking herself for half the movie. <laughs> just writhing around on the ground, screaming in orgasmic pleasure. It's like, that's a little much. But it works in the movie, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right, and another thing that you mentioned Anthony that I wanted to touch on was how the style is drastically different and how the original utilizes color so much. And then we do get a little bit of a throwback to that with this final sequence in this movie where everything just becomes red. Yeah. So then we get that oversaturated color and I was like, okay, cool. So at least he's mentioning the original without remaking it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I felt like that's where I thought, okay, now they're really letting loose and bringing in some of that style that we haven't seen for the rest of the movie. And everything is this super uncomfortable, just red filter. Yeah, I do think that, like, what makes it so impactful when there's the really gory moments or when there's, the like, the final scene in that deep red or the dream sequences and how those branch out into these more colorful moments it just makes it pop so much more against the dull war-torn berlin that you get in all of the other sequences so it makes those scenes so hard-hitting those dream sequences kind of reminded me of the tunnel scene from willy wonka (laughs) a little bit yeah (laughs) yeah i was like whoa what's going on is that a millipede what's up yeah that's a really good comparison because like they felt like real nightmares feel sometimes where it really is just terrifying imagery and none of it seems to connect to anything in particular but it's just bombarding you with this terrifying imagery it felt it reminded me of when american horror story does their opening sequences really well where it's just all this really terrifying imagery that ends up having nothing to do with yeah and, and it ends up having nothing to do with the show but i just want the opening sequences as their own short films. And so seeing this, I felt, <laughs> I felt like you could just add the American horror story theme song and uh, I guess call it coven and have it be an actual, you know, <laughs> an actual good witch version of American horror story. But uh, that's beside the point. Yeah. I, I definitely, I was scared by those, those parts. Those were creepy. And then the end just really goes balls to the wall with some of the stuff where I was like, Holy shit. Yeah, I think overall it's it's a pretty slow film and it just builds you up and builds you up and builds you up. And then a lot of times when movies do that, you don't always get a big payoff. But this movie, it keeps you intrigued because you're like, okay, what's going on? What's really happening here? Is the, Are the girls going to find out? And you kind of want to know and you kind of keep unraveling with them. And then when you get to the end, you get this massive payoff, mm-hmm. right? And that sequence is crazy. And it's like, all right, this is what we've been building up for. And they don't pull punches. Like, it just is full force. And you're like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. I waited two hours for this. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. I would 
So, I mean, obviously from my end, it's, it's definitely recommend my caveat to the recommendation would be it, you know, it is an over two and a half hour movie. Um, if it's something that you want to try to break up into two parts, luckily the movie actually is broken up into chapters. Um, there are little title uh, chapter titles that pop up. So if you want to break it up, um, I mean, stick through it if you can, because it really is a, an engrossing experience when you really get into it. But if you want to break it up, the movie kind of helps you do that. So if you want to break it up like halfway at one of those title sequences, um, I kind of ended up having to break it up into two parts, and I still really enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, that's going to be a recommend for me, too. I think that's, oh, once again, I think it's going to be unanimous. I'm also going to give this a recommend. While it is a little pretentious at times and its presentation, it doesn't take away from the fact that this is a very heady, very thought-provoking film that you're going to spend a lot of time thinking about and discussing with the people you've watched it with, you know, for days and days on end after it's already been watched. Yeah, I think the phrase I used was, it crawls too far up its own ass, um, which... <laughs> <laughs> up its witch's ass, up I think, yeah. is a, it's, a direct quote. It's, it's bumpy, bumpy witch's ass, yeah. Um, but it's a movie where when I first ended it, I thought, I don't know if I liked that at all. And then obviously I'm talking enough about it now that with thought and reflection, it's a movie that's grown on me a lot since I watched it. Like almost immediately too, I was walking out thinking about the music, you know, thinking about the imagery and it stuck with me and it, it kind of haunted me. So, and it, so it achieved the goal that I think it was, it set out for. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot more to it that could be unpacked and along those same lines the next one that we're going to talk about has a ton to unpack mm -hmm. and so this is the one that john wanted to give a bit more discussion on and that is the girl with all the gifts i went into this completely blind had no idea what it was and i was not disappointed yeah same here yeah so this movie I also had no idea what it was about other than that it had a zombie theme to it which Already, I'm all in. I you've you've got my interest peaked at zombies. So we dig into this movie, and it's completely different than what I would have anticipated. So basically, you have this concept where there are these kids, and they were born zombies, and they are in the middle of this apocalypse with all of these crazy, uh, like fungal zombies, almost all a um last of us and the concept is that we're following this one girl who may be able to potentially save humanity or whatever and the acting performances are really really good we have glenn close who i haven't seen in anything in a dick load of time and since 102 dalmatians <laughs> <laughs> which is a terrifying film in itself <laughs> And then so we have a few unknown actors as well, but the the little girl who plays the main, like, I mean, I feel like this has happened uh, two years in a row now, uh, like a child actor's performance has really kind of struck me as something that you need to sit down and take notice to. I had the same experience with Train to Busan last year, and it was just incredible. She steals the, sh the show in every scene that she's in, and the concepts that are on display are things that, like I said, I'm still having discussions with myself about, you know, uh, internally like, Oh, like this, this is a, you know, a uh, metaphor for, you know, uh, politics or, you know, uh, race, religion. I mean, there are so many different things that you could plug in as the reasoning for the way they chose to do things. And I felt like it ended in a place that may upset a few people, 
but it's something that's easily discussable. I mean, I think, like I said, the fact that we get through this whole process and we find out that the gen one of this zombie infection is, you know, basic, your basic zombie, but they also have the ability to sprout into these huge towers of like seed pods and that those seed pods, if they're triggered, will spread the infection at a rapid rate. It'll, it'll make the infection become airborne yeah. versus through bites or whatever. Exactly. And so these Gen 2 uh, zombies are the children, and they have control over the majority of their faculties other than obviously wanting to eat uh, raw, raw uh, animals and humans while they're still alive. Um, <laughs> but but as, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all they want to eat. All they want to eat. Uh, but the fact that they are these actual living creatures and they're being told essentially that they're not, you know, I think that the whole concept of Glenn Close's character is that over time she is convinced from being someone who is like, oh, yeah, these are just inhuman creatures and they're imitating us to try to get in with us so that way they can eat us. Uh, and by the end, she realizes I was wrong but I still want to use this girl to try to, to last ditch save humanity, even though at this point, because these pods exist, if there was any kind of natural disaster, it'd still just be game over. So she's willing to sacrifice this girl who has proven that she's loving, intelligent, and is very compassionate about the people in her surroundings, even though she wants to eat them. You know, She refrains from doing that and does things to actively help them. And I think that when we get to the ending, I think that it's just – it's a very, very discussable thing. And like, so we won't spoil it here. We'll give you that last little bit just in case you haven't caught the movie yet. It's just so interesting, and I think it takes it in a completely different direction than any other film before it. We've seen the zombie stuff done a lot, so it's pretty easy to make a zombie movie at this point, right? You get somebody going, oh, and walking and being stupid. So that happens, <laughs> and we've had those forever, and we have shows now. You just now. hurt my soul. <laughs> Well, the point I'm trying to make is, is every once in a while we'll get something that does something different to the genre. Like we had Train to Busan, right? And that was something that we hadn't really seen before and that packed a lot of emotion to it. Mm -hmm. And then we get something like this where it's, again, a different take on the genre. It's kind of same with 28 Days Later, right, where we hadn't seen that before. And that's when we got these running zombies and it's more of a virus than it is than it is just – you know, whatever the causes before. And so it's, it realized it grounded the zombie movement. And now we get this one where it's like, okay, what if they are reproducing? And then what goes from there? Yeah. And what would that look like for humanity past just this initial outbreak, which is typically where zombie movies go. And so this one shows you a different side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like we're, we're at a point where you almost have to turn to these smaller kind of, um, low budget gems of zombie movies because we're so we've been so inundated with things like The Walking Dead and you know we're so used to things like the Romero movies and and stuff like that and and you have a certain way that you think of zombies and I mean John you were it, you read my mind about it being like The Last of Us which I felt was a really good take on the the zombie genre and I love when a movie is able to in a short amount of time flesh out like this this thing's entire life cycle i compared it to alien where you get you get enough of the xenomorph's life cycle to make it feel like a real creature this thing feels like an actual organism that could exist and that's what makes it scarier and more interesting is that it it feels like this is how a fungus actually works in 
the real world. And so seeing the evolution of it in the movie, a couple of things that I wanted to touch on real quick, because I know that this was definitely something that I wanted to let you talk all about. But um, the girl, I mean, we've talked about her enough, the titular girl with all the gifts. Uh, the actress's name is Senia uh, Nanwa. And she was 13 when she did the movie, and she is fantastic. The uh, uh, Miss Justino, the teacher, that's Gemma um, Arterton, who I had recognized. I looked it up. She People will know her from uh, Quantum of Solace. She was a Bond girl in mm, Quantum of Solace. That's right. She, and she was also in the truly terrifying Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters uh, <laughs> with, with Jeremy Renner. But the thing that I uh, wanted to really shout out in this movie, too, is the music. And this is another name that is going, I'm going to completely butcher, but the music was by Cristobal Tapia Devere, which I actually feel like I pulled off. But they have this interesting little motif throughout the movie where it's this kind of whispery chanting um, in, the, in the score that I thought was something that I hadn't really heard, um, in, in especially like in a zombie film. And it, it was something different it was refreshing and for a movie where i went in with no expectations it it impressed me for sure yeah i think anthony's gonna break that here in a second after i finished watching the movie he sent me a text message specifically about the score which i thought also was excellent but uh he in in his hearing he heard a specific line and do you remember off the top of your head what you said it was <laughs> i don't but after i heard it i couldn't unhear it and i was dying the whole time it's like a excuse me while I kiss this guy. <laughs> oh, uh, it sounds like eat an orange potato. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just a sweet yeah. potato? A yam? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go back and tell him to fix the shit. <laughs> what I what I will say is that we don't typically try to discuss these movies too much outside of the podcast because we want to give you guys you know the most authentic conversation. And this movie, you know, it's we'll talk about little bits here and there. So, oh, did you like this? Did you like this? Yeah, sure. But this one was the one, especially for this week, that we talked about the most. Yeah. We unpacked this thing a lot because, like John was saying, it can be about race or it could be about class or it could be about age. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you can apply to this movie. It's ridiculous. And there's so much to unpack. Yeah, and it's a short film, but you feel like you could definitely see sequels to it that could expand on the on the mythology and the lore of this virus and i would be interested to see i mean it's been long enough since the movie was made that i doubt we're gonna get anything and it probably didn't make too much money but um i would like to see what happens after this movie again not to spoil the ending but i i was like cool i'm glad that it ended there but i would be totally fine seeing kind of the aftermath of this movie it reminded me a little bit too of kind of how we talked about with ad astra where a lot of these movies we see the beginning and then we get to a point, and that's the end. And with this one, we usually we see an outbreak, and we get to see that develop. And this, we don't. It's just, okay, this world is already ravaged by the zombies. Mm -hmm. Here's where we go from there. Just like with that Astra, right? Where it was like, okay, space travel is already a huge thing. This is where we go from there. And that's a really cool thing to see, and we don't really get to see that too much in the zombie world. That's going to be a big-time recommend if you do watch it. At me on social medias. I want to talk more about this movie. I could talk about it until I'm blue in the face or until my fingers fall off from typing so fast. I loved this movie. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites that we've watched so far this spooky season. Um, but yeah, uh, how do you guys feel about it? Um, I would recommend it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, we so far we're, we've 
we have been going strong with this week, and this is definitely a recommend for me. Moving on, this is the last one that we will discuss a little bit further. And this we watched on the 11th, and it is the Thai West film, The House of the Devil. So if you aren't familiar with this movie, it is a late 70s, early 80s throwback, because it was made 10 years ago now. Yeah. And this was my first experience with it, your first experience with it too, John. Anthony, you had already seen this one, right? Yeah, and I was so hyped for you guys to watch it, because I absolutely love the shit out of this movie. <laughs> right, and I think that that's going to end up being the consensus from all yes. three of us. So basically, this movie looks like it was shot in the 70s or 80s. It's all grainy, and it looks amazing as that. But what it does is it takes this idea of a babysitter, which is a pretty common trope, and it adds this kind of weird, culty, lunar experience to it that you don't really know where it's going, but you know something's coming. And I really enjoyed that part of it. Mm -hmm. And this movie is very slow. And it's all about the buildup, right? And it never feels like it drags at any point. I was like, okay, what's next? I was always ready to go. And it's pretty short. And I know we say that a lot, but a good horror movie can pack a punch in, you know, 90 minutes if that's what it needs to do. And this one definitely does that. So what I think is really cool about the way that it was shot is you get that same feel. So fans of the genre like we are get that throwback to what we love and what we grew up with. But then it's able to use the techniques from today and, and styles of today, like with gore, right? This movie has a lot of gore to it that they wouldn't have been able to do if that movie were to be made in the 70s or 80s. Yeah. And so we kind of get that combination of those two things put together, and it made for a wild time. It was a lot of fun being at the edge of my seat, you know, trying to, like, let some of the tension off. I don't want to spoil any real moments from it, but there's a, a moment where somebody gets shot at a fucking left field. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, this is what we're about right now. I'm all in. That's where the movie hooks you. Yeah. Yeah. The way that it's edited, it just has that, like like I said, that, that late 70s, early 80s kind of feel. Uh, not just in the way that it's shot, but like I said, in the editing room, like a lot of the editing tricks are things that you see from, you know, classics. And I loved that about it. And it's a throwback in all the best ways. Mm -hmm. A lot of the digital zooms too, instead of using the tracking where it just zooms in through the camera and you get these long lingering shots. It's so cool. Yeah. You get the really cool like title sequence where it, yeah, it zooms in on the characters. Mm -hmm. It has the font that's very reminiscent of uh, movies that would have come out in that time. It, what's really neat about it is that it's not only an homage to the eighties, but it, ta it uses the satanic panic that was such a big thing during the 80s and uses that as the backdrop for a slasher slash haunted house movie that um, claims to be based on true events, which, I mean, the Satanic Panic was a big thing in the 80s, but it, it uses that technique that, like, the Amityville Horror or Texas Chainsaw Massacre uses where it, it tells you based on true events and, and adds that layer to it. And then the whole thing is shot in 16 millimeters, so you really, like, it was shot like a movie would have been shot in the 80s and you get things like the walkman and the music like it all really the feathered hair it all <laughs> ties ties together to really nail that movie and you would be convinced that you were watching a movie that was shot like when texas chainsaw was was shot like with the way that the movie pulls off the style right if you would have shown me that movie and said hey this came out in the early 80s how have you never seen this i would have been like what the fuck dude this is amazing this came out in the 80s and i would have believed you yeah. and been pissed i never seen it <laughs> This is another one I went into blind. I had no idea what this movie was about. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's got, you know, hints of 
some other movies and I don't want to spoil it. So I won't really say what those movies are, but it has some hints, you know, to where people, some people might say that it's kind of a rip off of certain other movies, but um, I thought that it pulled it off really well by doing enough that while it felt like an homage, it didn't feel like a total rip off of every eighties movie that existed. It felt like it was a loving homage to those movies. And I was engrossed in it the whole time. Couldn't agree more. And, and actually, and actually scared. Yeah, and uh, speaking of, they are doing a screening of that in select cities. And I think there's one coming to San Francisco where they're going to show for the 10-year anniversary and Ty's going to be there. So might be something pretty cool to check out. Yeah, I would love to be there. and Because um, I've seen a couple of his movies. I've seen this and I saw his movie The Innkeepers, which I didn't like quite as much. But, um, you know, I still think the guy is really talented and it's sad because this movie had a $900,000 budget and it only made $101,000 in the in the box office so I mean but you got to expect that sometimes from these kind of movies that they're they're not going to make nearly as much money back in their budget um but I would still love to to see the guy and but it's one of those movies I feel like is an instant cult classic and I don't usually say that ever (laughs) yeah but I feel like this falls under that blanket yeah absolutely so I mean if it's not obvious by now that's going to be a 100% recommend for me yeah, I'd say 200% recommend since I've seen it a couple times now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump on that train. I'm going to 300% recommend. This was dope as hell. All right, so then these next three we'll just go through quickly. You know, we're getting a little bit long on you guys, but it was a long week, and we had a lot of fun with these movies. So on the 12th, we watched Don't Knock Twice. Not really much to say about this movie. <laughs> This this is where I got scared about the week because this was the first dud that I feel like we had. It started off, I thought, decent, mm-hmm. where you get kind of this weird suburban legend, and it's like, ooh, there's myth around this weird door, right? And it has a lot of creepy buildup, and then it just kind of flounders off. Yeah, and I love the character of uh, Baba Yaga, which is what is supposed to be behind the door or whatever. Norwegian folklore. And I love that as a character. And I think it's been in two movies that I've seen this year. One of them came out this year and the other one came out when it came out. Um, uh, it's <laughs> been done disjustice in both situations. I felt like this was just so much wasted potential. Uh, the other movie that I saw this year, by the way, is Hellboy. Don't go see that. I mean, I don't really want to get even too much into it. They had some opportunities and they missed they missed them. So that's going to be a, a don't recommend for me. Yeah, unlike House of the Devil, where it was a loving homage, this to me was just a big ripoff of better movies like Insidious, and um, I, yeah, I really wouldn't recommend it at all. Yeah, I once again I agree wholeheartedly. Like I said, the other, uh, it's so crazy how two different movies could do a similar thing so differently, and in this situation, this is just a carbon copy of all the things that came out before it just with less in the script less in the acting department and just less in the polish all right so let's go on to the 13th which was absentia so anthony you debated actually talking about this one a little bit more yeah yeah so i'll I'll briefly just do my piece on it um since it's not going to be one that we're going to be going super in-depth on but I mean, I was immediately interested in this movie because of the director, Mike Flanagan. Um, Real quick, some other things that people might know that he's done. Uh, He did Oculus, Hush. Um, 
He did Ouija Origin of Evil. Big fans of Hush on this podcast. Yeah, love Hush. He did Gerald's Game, which I think is great. He was. Uh, he also did The Haunting of Hill House, which I love. And he's doing the upcoming Shining sequel, Doctor Sleep. So, I mean, this is a guy with quite a track record. And Absentia um, wasn't his first... It wasn't his first movie, but it was definitely his catapult. And I thought that it was a movie that did a really good job of blurring the line between whether it was an emotional story about loss or whether it was truly a horror movie. It has a lot of flaws um, just because of the budget and the production. It definitely seems like some friends got together to make it. But for what it was, I mean, we even get Doug Jones in there for a little bit, um, who people usually, I mean, they probably wouldn't recognize because he's usually under a lot of makeup. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I thought that I debated it because I thought for a short little horror flick that really toes the line between being a drama and being a horror movie, um, it was a definite recommend for me. I was creeped out. I, I felt emotions. I felt feelings. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say, I would say just, yeah, I would say just right off the bat, um, it showed why Mike Flanagan has gotten to a point where he can make movies like Dr. Sleep is because he, he's he been doing this thing for a long time. I mean, Absentia was 2011, and he wrote, directed... For most of his movies, he writes, directs, um, and edits the movies, and he did that with Absentia. And, um, yeah, the guy is talented, and there was enough that I loved about it that this was another highlight of the week for me. I liked this one particular thing that they did where we get all this weird shit happening, but then they kind of have these flashes of, hey... Maybe that's not how it happened, and maybe it happened like this, right? Where they show her maybe she was using drugs, and maybe the guy flipped over all the couches, and maybe he caught me with another man, right? And I like that idea of them kind of twisting your perception of what's happening, because maybe what you saw wasn't what really happened. Yeah. Maybe this is what really happened instead, and I kind of wish that they had kept that going. It makes the narrator... um unreliable which is something we've been seeing in the past few weeks of things we've been talking about and i i definitely also dug that concept you can see through all of like the rookie mistakes and the lack of budget and the lack of like good film equipment and everything you can see the little shining parts of flanagan throughout the majority of this film and those are the big parts for me that were just that stuck out you know you see little parts of what helped him make Oculus, little parts of what helped him make Hush. And it's incredible to get to kind of see the early workings of those thought processes and the fact that he puts the team on his back with a lot of these things. Like I said, you know, the writing, directing, and editing. Most of the time you, with a director, you don't see them sit down and, and do the editing. And I think that that's part of maybe where the detriment comes in is that maybe biting off a little more than he could chew with not as good of equipment, but you can definitely see where he was able to carry that into a really, really promising career. I was just gonna say good for him. I mean, he's come a long way and, and this was, it was really cool to get an early look at his career. Really? That being said, I, I have liked where he's gone. I mean, I liked Hush and I like Hill house. Um, wasn't necessarily a huge fan of Oculus, but because this movie does, struggle from the lack of budget and all that kind of stuff unfortunately i think it's going to be a, a not recommend for me on this one just because if you're a fan of flanagan then you'll probably enjoy it but for the general audience i don't think that it's going to be your cup of tea yeah i can I, it's obviously a recommend for me but i would say that i agree with everything that you said and i feel like 
me knowing that it was Flanagan and knowing what I was getting into a little bit more going in, that did color my perception of it um, a bit. But I mean, if that made me enjoy it more, then, you know, more power to him. And I'm definitely looking forward to Dr. Sleep. Yeah, for me, I'm going to say I'm firmly on the fence. (laughs) I would I would give that's uh, a fucking cop out if I ever heard. So what I'm going to say is that it would be a recommend for some people. I I enjoyed this movie. Like I said, I enjoyed getting to see the early parts of of someone who's really taking the genre in a different direction, uh, getting to see their early work and their early thought process. But I wouldn't recommend this to everybody. Right. I think that's fair. And that's kind of why I'm out with it, too. All right. So the last one is something a little bit different than that we've had for oh, yeah. the first part of this Terror Tales. Um, this is going to be the 2010... <laughs> Live action movie called Frozen. <laughs> Let, it, Let go. it go. <laughs> you and I have uh, the same idea. <laughs> bunch of assholes. Uh, yeah, so that's what we were saying when he was hanging from the ski lift. Oh my god. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so this movie is about a group of friends that get stuck on a ski lift and... I mean, that's it, right? So there's not really a killer. So that is one of the things I liked about this movie was there wasn't an entity or a being or a person trying to attack people. This was just more of a horror movie against time and against the elements and kind of against yourself a little bit. You didn't hear the ski lift call them bitches at that one point? <laughs> Jump off, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so bitch. the acting's not great outside of Sean Ashmark because he's hella tight. And then... <laughs> Um, there's some pretty cool gore too. We get to see bones pop through some legs. Yeah, we get to double, see bodies decimated. So a double compound tib fib can't complain about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it drags in a lot of places because the dialogue is some of the worst dialogue that I've seen in a while. Well, you and, watched In Search of Lovecraft last I week. I did, and it was. Pre- <laughs> but I mean, this at least had some production values. But the dialogue was so bad, so unbelievably bad. Yeah, it's the the script is bad. Um, I mean, so what I liked is that the movie is very contained. It's very simple. They don't mm-hmm. waste a lot of time getting to the point, which is people trapped on a ski lift and how scary that would be if you're in a storm. You know, and there are some pretty gross out points um with some broken bones sticking out of things very suspiria um you know or skin being torn off or frostbite things that are legitimately scary and here in my hotel room i had the temperature turned way down when i was watching the movie and that helped really immerse me i felt like i was i was there with the characters yeah you were frozen (laughs) yeah i mean i would i would say on this one it, uh, I mean, John, you mentioned this definitely kind of felt like it was writing on that whole final destination, kind of like teenage or college age uh, vibe that those movies had at the time. I would say on this one, I'm on the fence. I can't say whether I would recommend it or not. I say it's very of its time when it was made 2010. It feels like a 2010, like teen movie. Oh, um, I, old. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, I, I lean more toward I lean more toward not recommend on this one. I think this is probably gonna be the only one this week that I would be well. Besides, don't knock twice. I would say those two were the ones that I lean one heavily toward not recommend. This one on the fence, leaning a little bit toward not recommend. I had a good time with it, and yeah, I mean the acting's not great, but like you were saying, the movie is simple story, straightforward, and you get to see some gruesome stuff. And at the end of it, you're like, all right, cool. I mean, you know where it's going. 
sure the characters make a lot of stupid fucking mistakes to the point where I was like, just just don't do that. But we get a little cameo from one of the greats. Gold Kane. And that was pretty cool. So for me, I'm going to say recommend. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be in the firmer not recommend camp on this one. <laughs> um, while I, there were parts of it that I was like, that's a cool concept. That's a really gruesome death. Like, I'm like, it's three people sitting on a ski lift when you when you uh, boil it all down. And the dialogue just wasn't enough to hold me in. And so there were a lot of places where it felt longer than its runtime for me. I, think, I mean, I think all that's fair. I think it's just yeah, an it accessible watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. A little tweaks. Little tweaks, and it would have been something I would have been in the firm recommend camp. Yeah, definitely. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for our discussion on the 31 <laughs> In keeping with how we've been doing things, I'm going to give you the first thing that we're going to be watching for next week. And then to see the rest, you'll have to check into Instagram. But to mix things up a little bit, we are going to switch gears and watch various episodes from TV shows that have Halloween-themed episodes. So the first one that we're going to watch for the 15th is going to be an episode of Boy Meets World. That's going to be from Season 5. It's Episode 17, and it's called And Then There Was Sean. So this one I remember from being a kid, and we all decided that it needed to go on the list. And I'm hoping that it's a good time. I hope that it still hits all those marks for me. This is one of the places where my my big childhood crush of Jennifer Love Hewitt came from. <laughs> so that being said this week is probably going to be pretty quick watch for everything so if you want to follow along now this would be a really good jumping in point because these ones are going to be all relatively quick all right so then before we go we'll go ahead and give you guys our watch list patrick what is it where are you going i've got to return some video tapes all right, so one of the ones that I was going to recommend before Anthony jumped the gun on it was Barry Ann. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one, I think, is probably going to end up being pretty creepy, so you might want to check that out. I also started watching the new American Horror Story. Um, it's it's decent. I'm going to wait to give you a full recommendation on that until I finish more of it. I've gotten three episodes in, and it, it feels very much full of tropes right but like in a way that was purposeful kind of like we got with the barn so um so far so good and i'll let you know how that goes and then the last thing i wanted to mention was hulu is continuing their into the dark series and the newest one for halloween is called uncanny annie and that is about a group of friends that play a board game that has dire consequences Ooh, and sweet. uh it again Asked that question, was it a good movie? No. Was it a good time? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I'll recommend that to you guys if you're looking for something kind of fun and kind of silly and a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, so my recommendation this week is actually not going to be horror-related at all. Um, but I will say that after doing two weeks of watching our 31 Terror Tales, I felt like I needed a bit of a palate cleanser. Um, so what I went ahead and watched was a documentary that my dad recommended to me from 2017 on Hulu. It's called Too Funny to Fail, The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show. Hmm. Um, I've seen that, uh, little thumbnail. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, it is, I mean, for people who don't know, the Dana Carvey Show, um, was a spectacular bomb of a show that, 
um, came out in 1996 and only ran for, I believe, like seven episodes before it was canceled by ABC. It ran into a lot of issues with being primetime following up Home Improvement, and uh, the show was very <laughs> subversive for its time. I mean, the opening... The, they, sh- they show it, but the opening skit of the first episode is Dana Carvey playing Bill Clinton with six prosthetic breasts where he's breastfeeding puppies and kittens and talking about how he's going <laughs> to nurture the country. It's very, very strange. And um, he would have all kinds of like different sponsors for every episode. So it would be the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show or the Mountain Dew Dana Carvey show. Um, stuff that these days I think would work super well um, with the sensibilities of today's comedy. But at the time really didn't hit home with many, many people, but the documentary shows that it did have quite a fan base. And the most interesting thing is that this show is the reason that we have people like Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert, because they were picked up. Stephen Colbert was Steve Carell's understudy um, at Second City and was actually picked up for this show. Uh, People like Louis C.K., Bob Odenkirk, these people who have become huge names in comedy and drama, were they got their start on this show. So seeing them come back you know, having late night careers, um, huge movie careers and things like that, and having them come back and talk about their fond memories of how they got their career started. It's really heartwarming. It's really funny. If you need a palate cleanser because you've been watching a lot of horror like we have, <laughs> I'd say check it out. Um, it's it's definitely a good watch. I have a couple things on my list this week. Um, number one, go see Joker. It was excellent. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I, I I don't know why I didn't recommend that. I've seen it twice. <laughs> 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 I was anticipating that you would. I gave you teed it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go see go see Joker. I loved it. I like I said, I saw it twice. I loved it. My girlfriend loved it. Um yeah, like John said, go see it. Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in it. Um some of the like more violent scenes are just incredible. Um also, in preparation for things, we won't discuss it any further. You'll find out on Instagram later. I've been rewatching the uh, Goosebumps series, and it's really cheesy and bad in some places, but it's still so nostalgic and fun. If you had any attachment to that at all, just go back and give it a shot. It's all on Netflix. Oh, you know what? Speaking of uh, Goosebumps, I went ahead and watched that uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark first episode maybe like five minutes of it just to see what the intro was like so that we can talk about it and they changed it and it's not nearly as creepy bummer well that's a huge disappointment yeah so just so you know if you end up watching it for a nostalgia uh it's not it's not as creepy there's no creepy doll they do try to imitate the swings and it just ain't the same man all right then that is really gonna wrap it up for this week's episode we hope that you liked what you heard and we hope that you check in tomorrow to see what other things we're going to be watching this week for their tv shows week and just a reminder we have that 31 terror tunes available on apple music and on spotify so check that out to get you in the spooky mood and as always thank you guys so much for listening keep it creepy You can find Porcelain Peak on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. And if you're going to listen to PodCoin, don't forget to use the code PORCELAIN. That's P-O-R-C-E-L-A-I-N for 300 free coins. Wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe so you never miss a spine-tingling episode.
Don't forget to follow us at Porcelain Peak on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or check us out on PorcelainPeak.com for additional content. Special thanks to Randy Greer for writing and producing our intro song, and to Anthony Silva for designing the Porcelain Peak logo. This has been here for this fair weirdos production.